0: Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now, this will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with his
1: Well, suddenly
2: it's become a right.
0: Of course, when things are going wrong against you, if you don't get the breaks of the ball, Cooper in with Stewart. Hello and welcome to the Here We Go podcast. Now, joining me tonight are... Well, not Martin Clunas, for a start, anyway... The malingering bastard is missing his first show in 170-odd outings tonight. A deplorable lack of dedication to the cause. Uh, But seriously, get off soon, Martin, because, you know, I wanted I I wanted you to host tonight so I could really rant. And I'm being denied the opportunity, so you are useful sometimes. But we do have two very fine guests, in fact, without wishing to give the other guy a complex. We love having this man on the show, possibly our favourite guest ever. It's World renowned Nine DJ and dandy for life, Graham Park. Evening Graham, how are you?
2: Hello, I'm very well, how are you?
0: Yeah, yeah, i um, happy if I've spoken to you, just immediately happy if I've spoken to you. Oh. Uh, now, one of the reasons we love having you on is your positivity. Are you going to be able to maintain that tonight, do you think? Um, <laughs> with difficulty,
2: yes. <laughs> That's my outlook, I'm trying, I'm trying to be positive about as many things as I can be. Even if it's difficult.
0: <laughs> right, well, we definitely need that tonight, Graham. So draw on all those resources and see what you can do. But uh, uh, no, no one problem. could blame you if, you if you fall a little bit short, I think. Uh, then, free to air this evening, uh, and I hope we didn't give you a complex, but we welcome back John Sinclair. How are you, John?
1: Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I think I'll uh, balance Graham's optimism out with what I'll, with what I'll call um, realism rather than rather than pessimism.
0: Right, Okay. Um, well you can be, you can do my ranting, my quasi, uh, my ranting by proxy I guess. Uh, So on last week's show we were all kind of, oh let's win these two games, get some momentum ahead of Ibrox. It didn't quite work out that way. Last Wednesday third place Motherwell rocked up to Putaudry, sat deep, scored from a set piece and very easily repelled our limited attacking efforts. And John, in many ways it was a continuation of a Dumbarton game but against much smarter opponents.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There were plenty of times in the game where we looked comfortable, which is about as much of a compliment as I want to to give that performance. Motherwell didn't look any great threat, they didn't look any great shakes going forward but ultimately they're a very clever team and they knew exactly how we were going to play because there's only one way that we do play at the moment and therefore they were able to just let us bounce off them for the majority of the 90 minutes. Switched off, we switched off for their goal and you know, when we're so blunt in an attacking sense, giving away a goal like that is is tantamount to suicide. it really ruins your chances of getting anything out of the game
0: yeah it was it was a very very cheap goal Graham, wasn 't it it was it 's really stock in trade for for most teams to be able to defend that sort of set piece It, it really should have been cut out at source
2: well yes and, and john 's absolutely right i i have to, I do have a slightest advantage in that I listen to it on the radio rather than watch it um, but um Yes, a very, very disappointing result as, um, well, what can you say, very disappointing as was um, Sunday's result as well.
0: Two games very much following a similar similar pattern really, except we we didn't concede quite so calamitously uh, against St Mirrens. We managed to hold that to nil-nil at least. John, just people have gone to the habit of calling the current football hoofball, ball. It's very noticeably the last couple of games in particular... There is a clear effort to try and play it short But it's so slow, so ponderous That it completely negates the purpose
1: It is, and there's there's such little movement In the attacking third um, That it's just predictable to to a fault Um, We've got a couple of nice passers in the squad, if you're looking at sort of a 10-yard sideways pass, Ojo and and uh, what we've seen so far in McGeech are, are, are pretty decent at that kind of thing, but there's no one who can play the kind of killer ball forward but even if we had someone who could play the killer ball forward who on, on Sunday in particular, who against St Mirren was making the run to receive that forward pass, there was there was very little movement at all, even Kennedy who, who came onto a bit of a performance, um, you know, a six or a seven out of ten performance, but he still just doesn't move enough to to give teams anything to worry about defensively. I mean, one performance, we'll see where it goes from there. But yeah, um, my my main takeaway from from Sunday was just how static and lifeless it looked going forward, ponderous.
2: Yeah, I, I think though, I mean, you got to give McGeeoch and Kennedy a chance, sure, and one game, but. They came. To, why, why did they come to Petardry? Because they wanted to come to a great team with a great manager. Now, I think it's fair to say that we are lacking that spark, as has been said in many in many places. Um, and I do believe here's my here's my famous <laughs> famous positivity coming. That spark will appear, and I'm sure I feel I feel it that we're going to end the season on on a high. Um, I just, I just feel it, because we, we, we're we still fourth. Admittedly, we should be third, but we are fourth. Uh, McGeoch and Kennedy, I'm sure, are going to come and give us that spark. Bryson will be back as well. Um, but you're right, that that last third, the attacking options, are where we're being let down. But when when Kennedy and McGeoch do what we've been missing for a while, as in, you know, Johnny Hayes... Uh, Ryan Christie, Graham Shinney Hopefully they w- they they'll do that. But c- can I can I just pass on some comments from um, one of my one of my best friends?
0: Yeah, of course.
2: Um, uh, my friend Mike Greve, um who is a big Aberdeen supporter like me, um, lives in Glasgow and get, goes to a lot of away games. He was at, he was at the St Mirren game on Sunday, and he's. Very frustrated about the majority of Don's fans because obviously we've got an amazing travelling away support, but he's he's increasingly seen the majority of Don's fans under thirty, totally giving the team pelers. Right now, if you're on the if you're if you're an Aberdeen player, you play in and you're getting pelers from your own fans. It's not really going to help you put on the best performance you can. And if I can, like, use an analogy of me DJing in a club, if one person, say I'm playing 2,000 people and the place is going off and I'm having a great time, all it takes is one person to give me a stare when I play a particular record, or to come up and go, come on, Parky, put something we know on, that can really, really affect my performance for the next... 20 minutes right now as a Don supporter regardless of your age or your heritage or your outlook get behind your team get behind the team right egg them on and that spark might just happen and talking of the sparks saturday afternoon in glasgow i'm pretty sure we'll see that spark Well, I hope so, because I'm DJing in Glasgow on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm DJing at five o'clock. So um, I'm actually going to take my Aberdeen shirt with me in the car, because you never know, I might be putting it on. But I I, I just do think that there's a lot of criticism. The Twitterati mainly, because it's dead easy to get your phone out or your laptop or your tablet and rant away about the team. And the manager unfairly, I think. But surely, and and again, that analogy of people um, being critical of of, of anyone performing, support your team, and that spark will come, I'm convinced. And there's there's my famous positive outlook.
0: No, I mean, that's a really interesting. Viewpoint, Graham, because it is human nature, as you said. If you've got a room full of people and it's just the one guy, it's human nature just to just to focus on you know, why is he not liking it? Why is not, why he isn't getting into it? It's strange, but that is just how we act as humans, I suppose. We're, we're slightly paranoid when it comes to that. And um, yes, no, no, yes, but uh, <clears throat> my
2: friend Mike said, you know, if if um, a, if a player does a not very good pass, that comes a shout would come out from the crowd. McInnes, you haven't got a clue. But how does a bad pass, one bad pass translates to criticism of the manager? I, I, just, I just don't understand that. That's, that's the kind of point I'm trying to get across
0: to you. Do you think there's an argument, uh, John, that, that, that some of the performances are being inhibited by that sort of fear, by the sort of knowledge that, you know, if they do try something inventive, try something risky you know, a risky pass, a risky shot or whatever, that if it goes wrong, they're going to get criticism from the stands. Do you, do you think that's maybe feeding into it?
1: Well, on one hand, I think that um, if if we're going to consider Aberdeen to be a big club, which I think the three of us would certainly say that we are, then there's an inherent amount of pressure that comes with that. And uh, there are there are players who are perhaps in the current Aberdeen squad but there've certainly been players in the past who just aren't up to it and i think that the crowd getting on their back is going to going to break them really as players but there are players for whom that sort of atmosphere from the stands positive or negative can really spur them on to do something better. I think that comes from being what we would we would think of ourselves as a big club. You know, we expect a lot from our players and we, we demand that vocally from from the from the stands and some players will react to that. Now, you know, I think that Graham's quite right in that there can be certainly far too much negativity from the stands at times. Now I wasn't at either of the games this week, lucky me, and uh I'm not one to, I'm not really one to boo from the stands. I'll boo on Twitter and I'll boo in the pub, you know, to my pals before and after the game. But at the game, I I do, I do think of myself as, as 90 minutes of just getting behind the team and, and going for it. But I think I do have another side of the coin here, which is that, Everything I read on Twitter tells me that um, the atmosphere at Pataudry for the return of the home end, for the Red Shed, for the game against Dumbarton, it was the best atmosphere there'd been at Pataudry for a domestic game for, for goodness knows how long. Um, you know, non-stop positivity from the Merkland end, uh, cheering the team on for a full 90 minutes. And what what did it get? In terms of our performance How did it influence the the play It didn't really It took a, an 88th or 89th minute penalty To to see away Dumbarton Who as far as I'm aware are still a part time team So you know um, I'm not suggesting that we should have got On the players backs at that game I'm not suggesting that if we start booing And grumbling and moaning uh, A scraped 1-0 suddenly becomes a 3 or 4 nil. But I'm suggesting that You know The atmosphere hasn't been consistent for Aberdeen players of late. They've gone from highs against Dumbarton to what I'd imagine was a pretty sour atmosphere at Pataudry for Motherwell, and then probably quite venomous at uh, Paisley yesterday. Um, And the quality of the performances across those three games hasn't really changed that much. So I'm, I'm not sure how much the atmosphere... Could have changed things for us yesterday or against Motherwell. Having said that, though, I'm, I'm not I'm not one to, to sit in the stands and, and boo and scream and shout. That's not that's not my, my style.
0: Graham made point a good point earlier as well that um, you know Motherwell are sitting third. We're sitting third, third before Wednesday night. The reaction to the the result performance. I mean, it seemed like in many respects, people were just waiting for us to drop points or, or lose games at the moment. Any sort of result that isn't a win that is being leapt upon by a certain subset, uh, subsection of the support, isn't it, uh, John?
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I think it's important that we look at things as a whole. I think we need to be aware of the bigger picture, and I think that the winter break has probably made us forget a few things about this Aberdeen team, which is that we are still fourth in the table. We are still within touching distance of third, which is you know the bare minimum that we should be at the moment. Um, I think that that us having had two two and a half weeks off, a poor result before the winter break, and then You know, on the face of it, poor results since the winter break. We're forgetting that there has been some good work done this season. We have put in some good performances. We have had good players play well. The winter break just can lend itself to kind of forgetting about what happened in September, October, and November. It's it's not been a it's not been a fantastic season so far, but it's by no means over yet. So I agree with what Graham said earlier in the the recording that um, you know there's every chance we finish this season strongly and it turns out to be a successful season.
0: I think what I have uh, seen written a few times, Graham, is the the assertion that McNess has been seven here he seven years and he's not really built teams. But unfortunately, the difficulties are that you lose your best players at a club like Aberdeen. So every summer more or less is a case of rebuilding it's not like you can constantly improve upon what you have because you're losing your ryan jacks your johnny hayes your graham shinny's your kenny mclean's and obviously part of the ire part of the worry for aberdeen fans has been that the recruitment has been hit and miss, to to be kind i suppose but there has to be an truly, some sort of understanding that um it's not just a case of, of seven years Of, of constant building there is, Quite frequently you're having some of your best players Ripped out of that team
2: Well, well yes, understandably Because you know, we can't compete with the wages That uh, English Championship Or English League One clubs Sadly c- can offer but, but at least We've been consistently At the right end of the table Since McInnes took over It's not that long ago that we were consistently at the wrong end of the table trying different managers out. Um, and, you know, the club is run magnificently. Um, who knows what McCormack's got up his sleeve, if he has anything up his sleeve. Um, but recruitment has been good. Yeah, okay, it has been hit or miss in some cases. I mean, Curtis Mayne, for example, uh, has just scored one
1: goal, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, mind you,
2: he's not had that many minutes. Um, but you know I still think McInnes is definitely the man for the job because you know when you hear people shouting McInnes out you read people saying oh it's time for McInnes to go but who else is going to come in and do as good a job just look at two of the other so called big clubs outside the old firm in Aberdeen and how great have their last couple of seasons been Hearts and Hibs now Changing managers doesn't always work, and yeah, recruitment <laughs> recruitment can be hit or miss, but it's still of a decent level. And then, I mean, look at Sam Sam Cosgrove. Everyone was like, there was no excitement at all. I remember vividly. I was thinking myself, who
0: the hell's this Sam
2: Cosgrove from Carlisle, and, and you know, for five figures? Well, you know, he's turned out all right. But yeah, admittedly, Curtis Main hasn't. Uh, James Wilson, though um, I'm still, well, I'm hoping, but I do think there's still something good to come from him. Otherwise, you know, why would you have come come to Aberdeen? It's a two way thing, you know. As I it's all about talking about recruitment, but someone like James Wilson, who, who's taken a massive wage cut and has played at the highest level, why would he come to Pottodry? It seems obvious to me. The manager and the way the clubs run, and the fact that we are consistently. In Europe, okay, fourth place last season, but we still got in Europe, luckily because of the cup final result or, or, or whatever it was. But but you know, I'd I'd hate to be a Hearts supporter or a Hibs supporter.
0: Well, a, you say regardless that of
2: you regardless, you of way, regardless of where <laughs> they perform, anyway, I would be a Hearts <laughs> Hibs But I think mean, you know what I mean. You know, it's like, That's exactly
0: what I was going to say. Yeah, we're not bottom of the league. Even um, when they're winning things, you don't want to be a Hearts or Hibs fan. Um, <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Well, there's there's a couple of strands coming out of that, John And I think it is right to look back Not just our history, but the history of the league And and see that the teams that don't have the biggest cash piles They do find it hard to stay at the top end of the table Consistently, season after season And it's it's been unusual, not just for Aberdeen But for any challenger club to be up in the top two, three That we have been for, for those seasons in a row And it also... I think if we look back our history, in terms of being able to rebuild a side that loses its key players, well, that's been a struggle for everyone. And even Alex Ferguson, it was a struggle. Given the quality of the players he lost, that's probably not a surprise. Every manager at some point has to face that. In terms of a rebuild, it's not gone as we would like. And some of these players have found it very, very difficult to replace, obviously, and replicate the sort of style that he's looking for. But one particular comment during the week did did certainly set my ire off, uh, John. It was about the fact that he spoke about lacking that creativity, lacking that um, player at the top end of the pitch that will provide that extra spark. That is his responsibility, of course, as manager to do that. So to to come out and say that is a little bit infuri- is more than a bit infuriating.
1: Yeah, I thought that was a bit disingenuous of McInnes to say that. He's not someone who I expect to see kind of being a bit bolshy and a bit like that in the media. That's not the style that I've come to expect from him. So I, that did great with me a little bit as well. Um, just briefly to go back to squad building, there is grounds for optimism at the moment. This current squad, um, everyone is under a contract for a, for a decent spell. We're not about to go through... Another, another you know, May, June, July rebuild Like we've had to endure the last few seasons This team is only going to get improved on and added to We're not going to lose the people that we've, we've uh, unfortunately had to lose uh, in recent years Unless you consider Zach Viner you know, a, a, a key part of the team Which I don't think we, we do So you know, the McGeech, the Ojo, the Kennedy etc They're here for the long haul They're only going to get better because they can't really regress from the last couple of performances, um, so the rebuilding thing is is ongoing. But it's a different type of situation that McInnes has set us up for in the next eighteen months to two years. It's uh, a different different type of rebuild, or, or um, the, the half of the rebuilding has already been done and should last a bit longer than what we've seen in recent years. Um, you know, the with regards to to signings being hit or miss. A thing I find a bit strange with McInnes' transfer dealings, and this isn't necessarily a huge criticism of him, but I don't think there's any consistent pattern to what's a hit and what's a miss. So we can sign someone like Cosgrove, who, as Graham mentioned, cost us pennies from Carlisle, nobody had ever heard of him, and he's turned into an enormous success, he's going to make us a huge profit. But where is the replication of that? Where are the other Sam Cosgroves? Where is the scouting at that level of football that we're signing players like that and turning them into other Sam Cosgroves? Cosgrove has an element of kind of a diamond in the rough where Curtis Main is what makes up the rough. And, you know, we've got, Lewis Ferguson, who's turned into another hugely saleable asset, not, not that that's what we want to focus on, but it, it works for this part of the conversation. You know, Lewis Ferguson will make us a lot of money one day. So maybe we're trying to replicate that with the signing from uh, Ross County, whose name escapes me at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah, that's the one. Um, you know, maybe we're looking to try and repeat previous successes. That would be interesting to see McInnes do a bit more of that because otherwise his signings can be a bit scattershot in terms of the, the strategy or the thinking that's gone into them.
2: Yeah, but isn't that just down to the nature of, of uh, money, though? Because if, you, if you're the old firm, you can go to Europe and throw money at someone who's got a proven um, record in a mid a mid-table top European league but when you're Aberdeen um, well, the last chairman wouldn't gamble money like that and I don't think the current chairman will so you have to um, gamble with what you've got and inevitably you'll get a few Cosgroves but you'll get a few mains as well
1: yeah, th- that's a fair. That's a fair way to sum it up. I just, I just don't always think it's, it's very consistent. I don't think that you see joined up thinking in, in what we do. Why do we sign the players we sign? Um, you know, we've, we've proven that we can. Sign players that nobody's ever heard of Or that don't have much of a record in the game And turn them into to something So why don't we persist with that As a signing strategy Why do we sign people like Curtis May Who've had underwhelming careers And expect that we can be the ones That turn them into the goal scoring machine That they've always dreamed of being You know um, I think you, you've, you've made a good point there Graham But I, I would like to see us Use the, the things that have worked and, and try them more Rather than just The slightly random nature of our signings at times But
0: surely there has been a strategy Over the recent years And it's been really to sort of cherry pick The better players from other SPFL clubs Where we can um, One example of that is probably Matty Kennedy you can look at countless other ones. You know, they might not come to us directly. They might come to us after a spell which doesn't work out for them down south, a Dylan McGeoch or Adam Bruni or so many others. Um, but Matty Kennedy, who will come on to talk... Uh, talk About in a minute It's just another one of those types of players Who stars for another team But And I think this is an important point to make Not just in terms of the transfer market But in terms of games generally They don't exist in a vacuum And we don't operate in a vacuum in the transfer market Other teams are competing For the sort of guys we would like to bring in Um, Liam Boyce for example Scored for Hearts yesterday We were credited with an interest there I think with Cosgrove on our books We probably wouldn't have uh, Shells out the money this window to get him in. Heart's need this window was obviously going to be greater than ours. We definitely would have been interested in the summer. And I I think that over the time that McInnes has been here, that's been his key market. Yeah, there have been the more left field signings, and there's a British focus to the signings, which irritates some people. I don't know why it should irritate some people. I think that it's expensive to scout overseas and to do your business overseas. Um, people think that you can do everything from a laptop and a Y-skate subscription these days You can do a lot with that But um, if a manager in a, in a management team prefers on-the-ground skating Then that becomes expensive to do that in Europe To Matty Kennedy then Playing pretty well in a St Johnson team that is admittedly struggling Right now, should bring us Because it wasn't particularly evident on Sunday Should bring us pace, directness And the ability to find a striker With a cross ball These are things which again We have been really searching for consistently Since Johnny Hayes left Now, McGinn creates a lot of goals But he's more of the sort of cut inside Rather than go to the byline and and get the ball in Conor McLennan had a really good season last season But struggled to replicate that in the second season not the best of items on Sunday, as I say, Graham, but uh, are you excited for what Matty Kennedy can bring to this team?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, he's, he's played well in a mediocre St Johnston team, so hopefully um, he can bring that spark to a team that's, well, a lot better than mediocre at the moment, but um, <laughs> a team that will... Um, well, we, we need it. We need players like that, someone... Hopefully, he can get the ball in to Cosgrove. But, you know, on that subject, Cosgrove, it's, it's too late in the transfer window now. But imagine if two weeks ago, if we've got a massive offer for him, we could have had two weeks to cash in and, and buy maybe two um, forward players. Too late for that now because there's only, what, how many days left? Three or four days left. Um, but I think maybe. Get 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 Kennedy to get Cosgrove knocking the ball back in the net again, and um, in the summer cash in, and then uh, bring in two good attacking players. I don't know.
0: Is that really w- what we should be hoping for, Johnny? That one of our big assets goes for decent money, and we can actually enact major surgery on this team.
1: Not in not in the January window, no. Um, especially with Graham's point that the window slams shut as people are wont to say in a couple of days, um, we, we we wouldn't have the time. You know, I'm sure we've identified targets and things like that, but it's, it it just wouldn't happen that way. So Cosgrove, I don't want him to go anywhere just now. Um, I think there comes a point in every player's trajectory where we have to see them as a, a saleable asset, and I think that we have perhaps shot ourselves in the foot slightly with Scott McKenna by not selling him when the selling was good. So I wonder if perhaps McKinnis and Cosgrove and the the background team there will be aware of the fact that um, a big bid for Cosgrove might be, you know, it might be the only big bid for Cosgrove. In six months time he might have regressed and we don't get the next big bid in for him. So these are things that people are paid a hell of a lot more money than you know the likes of us on a podcast to to think about, um, but you know at some point you sell Sam Cosgrove. Yes, you do. He's not going to be at Aberdeen for the rest of his career. You don't want to lose him on a free while there's while there's uh, a man with bags of cash trying to get him from you. Um, you know, I, I understand what you mean by saying do we do we want to sell him? No, we probably don't. But there's a, there's going to be a time when the stars align and it's the correct time to sell. It's the correct time to sell Sam Cosgrove. That's not now, but it may well be in May or June if he if he has a a decent second half to the season and keeps his value up. It's just it's just an unfortunate factor of being uh, a, a Scottish club is that. Uh, ultimately, eventually, you either sell these players or you lose them for free. And it's not unique to us. It's, it's every club in Scotland, including the big two in Glasgow, they eventually have to sell players because the price versus the, the likelihood of being able to keep them for any longer becomes too difficult to say no to. Yeah,
0: Derek Ricketts has again been talking about bringing in, and I'm really quite surprised at this, uh, bringing in maybe one or two more. I say I'm surprised, but then again, You look at our struggles the last few weeks, Graham, to to score the sort of goals that we should be scoring, win the sort of games we should be winning. I guess I shouldn't be surprised because Mm -hmm. something's not quite working. However much we try and put a positive spin on it, something clearly isn't working. That was very evident again on Sunday at St Mirren, which was really just, frankly, the same performance as against Motherwell in so many respects.
2: Yeah, maybe, though, maybe we will think. Uh, Another attacking player in before uh, Friday. Is it Friday that it closes? 31st? Um, Because, you know, there's an argument to say there's maybe too much reliance on Cosgrove, and there has been for a while. Um, And if he's not firing on all cylinders, then who else is going to score? I think, you know, Saturday afternoon in in Glasgow. you know what happens when we play Rangers, everyone gets fired up, and going there, knowing that, <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, it was quite funny when I, when I saw it, but losing to the bottom club, you know, that's got to, that's got to be um, an extra bit of inspiration, as if any was, any was needed to go and get some points in Glasgow, but, you know, we don't get many points in Glasgow, but, um, here's my positive spin again, well, I'm, 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 I'm I really, really want to turn up to the SWG3 club on Saturday afternoon with a massive grin on my face <laughs> rather
0: than hide in the dressing room through that way. Yeah, I went might give the manager 10 minutes uh, grace, I suppose, on social media, if nothing else. Um, John, I, I liked some of what we did on Sunday. I, I liked that we had more control of the football. A lot of games this season, you know, we've scraped by, but we've had maybe less of the ball in the opponents, and we haven't been secure as a result of that. I liked that Odil and McGeoch were taking a bit more care of the ball, retaining the ball better, and we're getting through a good amount of work. But part of that was having Ferguson in there and Ferguson operating a bit further forward. And I'm not convinced it's working, perhaps, as you would want a number 10 to work.
1: Sure I think i 've said every single time i 've been on the pod that we don 't quite know what Lewis Ferguson is yet we don 't know his best position in the midfield. Um, I, you know how many games has he played for us now? maybe sixty fifty sixty maybe um, you know so it, perhaps it 's concerning that we don 't yet know where he 's best, but um, is he one of the deep lying two with uh, Ojo or McGee or is he a number ten? or is he more box-to-box, or is he a ball-winning midfielder? I I genuinely don't know the answer yet, and I think the fact that he gets shunted around a wee bit depending on who's fit and available suggests that we are not quite aware of his best position, or rather, McInnes isn't quite aware of his best position yet either. It was telling that when McGeech came off, which I presume was just energy issues, having not played for, for some months. When McGee came off on Sunday and Ferguson moved a bit deeper, he looked a much better player, or, he, or rather, if not a better player, he had much more impact on the game. The 20 minutes, 15 minutes when Ferguson was playing much deeper as a central midfielder rather than a number 10, was when he had the most impact, saw most of the ball and and did the most positive play with it. So... Are we going to have to leave out one of Ojo and McGeech to have Ferguson in that role? Do we persist with Ferguson as a number 10 with Ojo and McGeech behind him, even though perhaps that isn't getting the best out of Ferguson? Do we wait for Bryson to come back and then Bryson plays as the number 10? And then does that mean we drop one of Ojo, McGeech and Ferguson? It's a bit congested in that central midfield, um, which is a good problem to have because if Bryson ever remembers how to stay fit for more than 10 minutes. He's, it means we've got four very capable, very capable players in that position. But if if uh, if we persist with the kind of 4-2-3-1 which, of which has been the trademark of the McInnes era, then one of them's not going to play every game. And I'm not sure how that works, really. Although I suppose we'll just have to... Assume that someone's going to be injured As has been the case for most of the season
0: No I mean squad depth, depth is obviously key John but uh, surely Odio was bought in the summer When it was clear we couldn't get The McGeoch deal done Now we've got McGeoch um, Is there an element here of the manager Because we've paid money for Odio Because he wants to be proved right on Odio Which is not really like him in fairness Because he's quite happy to ditch Deadwood Signings when they're not panning out
1: yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I think that Ojo and McGeech are quite similar players and I don't know that uh, had, had McGeech been available or, or more available in, in August if we would have signed Ojo, that doesn't mean they can't work together. McGeech was quite dynamic at times with Hibs. He does have a bit more of an eye for going forward than Ojo in the in the, the admittedly limited Experience Of Ojo that we've seen this season So I think they can work together But I think that McInnes saw an opportunity To get McGeech in January A player that he's coveted for 18 months And if there's one thing we know about Derek McInnes It's that he loves getting his man um, Eventually Even if it does mean waiting So I can kind of see McGeech as a bit of a bonus signing Ojo was the man that was identified to do that role To play in that position, and I think we can see what Ojo is capable of bringing to the team. He's not had a perfect start to his career, but I think it's mostly been positive. So I think McGeech is kind of a little bonus, a little added extra on top of that. That we were, we simply weren't going to let that pass by when the opportunity became available to sign McGeech. I don't know whether they work together as a two, you know, week in, week out, but I think they have. Both got important roles to play.
0: Well, Graham, you've been champing the bit to talk about Ibrox on Saturday, so I, I, let's move on to that because it's the last few games. Obviously, the onus has very much been on us to be in the front foot, us to be creative, us to break other teams down. It's going to be different on Saturday, undeniably. Will that actually work in our favour, though, to be the team that is uh, able to sit in and counter attack?
2: Oh, I, I, I definitely think so because um, the. Everyone knows, everyone already knows that we need to get goals and, and get up to third. And what better way to crack on? OK, well, we're going to crack on against Motherwell. And that never worked out. We're going to crack on yesterday. and That never worked out. So, at the third time of asking to crack on, Saturday is when it will be. And it has to be, really, because then uh, next up is uh, a game that I'm very much hoping
0: to be able to
2: go to for once. Uh, Celtic at the Tugri, but I, I'm really looking forward to start of this game. I'll be listening. Um, I can't go because I've got a DJ at five right. Otherwise, I would try and go. But I will be listening um, either in the car or when I arrive in Glasgow, and um, hopefully coming out of the dressing room with, with the red shirt on to go and DJ and getting pelters from pretty much well half the uh, half the audience is. WG3, hopefully, but no, I think it'll be a cracking game, it always is, because all all, all all, form and all rules always go out the window, and um, sad to say that that's the case, because really we should put those, that that performance that we've been against the old firm we should be putting them in against the mirror and the mother world. but hey-ho, that's the way it is, but
0: I think it'll be a cracking game Well, uh, John, let's obviously hope we don't have a, a repeat of the last time we were at Ibrox, and um, let's not mention any more of that game but... Um, If you are going to sit in, somebody like Matthew Kennedy, his pace is going to be an advantage then. Do you think maybe Kennedy just off Cosgrove for Saturday?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm glad that you asked Graeme about Ibrox first Because that kind of positivity um, This isn't what you want to hear from uh, an Aberdeen podcaster But I find it very difficult to to get too optimistic about trips to Ibrox I've endured too many decades of uh, disastrous visits there So it's a fixture that I'm always nervous about Even when in the last couple of years when we've had clearly the better team Clearly the better manager and performed... To a much higher level I'm still anxious about trips to Ibrox I'm sorry, not a, pos- not a popular opinion But it's just the way I'm wired up So I think that for us to do well on Saturday Which we definitely can It's going to rely on players like Kennedy And players like McGinn Bringing what we know they can To a counter-attacking side Which is pace, which is um, Being clinical when in possession Because even when we're at our best you just You simply don't get unlimited chances at Ibrox. You have to you have to take what you're given when you get it. And that needs McGinn at his best, it needs Cosgrove to to have his shooting boots on and it needs the Kennedy that that we, we think we got When we paid to to get him six months early I rated Kennedy last season As the best player outside the top six in Scotland um, So going back to, to What we said earlier about cherry picking the best Talents from the other teams This should be a good signing Um and it should be at games like Ibrox on Saturday where our signings, especially ones that we pay money for, especially ones that we show such intent in signing, that should be where they prove that we were right to sign them. Um, I want to talk very briefly just about McGinn, who has been my favourite player throughout the McGinn, uh, the McGinnis era. Um, even more so than, than the likes of Hayes, who who tend to be considered among the more popular players. McGinn's always been my favourite, which made the performance yesterday in Paisley really difficult to stomach for me. I thought he was... you know, I don't want to be too negative, and I'm sure Graham will find something positive to say about McGinn's performance, but I thought McGinn was awful yesterday. I found it really painful to watch as someone who who gets so much joy out of watching McGinn play well for Aberdeen. He just wasn't at the races at all yesterday. Um, so I think that he either we either hope he bucks up his ideas ahead of Saturday or we look to Hedges or McLennan to provide what we what we didn't get from McGinn yesterday
0: But I think that sums up our reliance On him and indeed as Graham said Earlier on Cosgrove this season That if McGinn isn't playing well If McGinn isn't creating chances for the rest of the team Hardly anyone else is And that's been a real real concern And in many ways the, the form of Cosgrove and I think now again had a good season A lot of people very much Don't see that when it comes to now McGinn, But he has, I mean not just anecdotally His return in terms of numbers is really good as well and I think without their performances, we would be in a p- considerably more trouble than... Well, we're not in trouble, but we would be doing considerably worse than we currently are. There is reasons to be optimistic. I mean, it's not so long ago we went to IBOX and won 2 in the Cup, and that was just a, a trademark counter-attacking display as to how to, how to set up, how to, to win your individual battles and be clinical when you get the chances. The other aspect is obviously, John, I'm sure you would have watched it, but uh, the Rangers at uh, Tencastle yesterday were far from impressive.
1: Yeah, they were dreadful I watched uh, about about the last hour of it I missed, the, I missed part of the first half But from what I did see um, Rangers just look a completely different proposition When they don't have Morelos and Tavernier Now I, I must admit I'm not sure of either of their status ahead of Saturday I'm not sure if Morelos is still banned But I, I gather that Tavernier might still be out Because his is a slightly awkward injury um, And, you know they're, they're just not the same Team either going forward or defensively without without those two key men, um, I think that there's certainly reasons to be optimistic. If you think that it's possible Rangers put in that poor of a performance again, um, you know I'd like to say that teams don't put in two performances as poor as that back to back, but Aberdeen have disproved that with Motherwell and Sudmer this week. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I was just about to
1: say that Certainly capable of putting in two bad performances Back to back Um, You know, I think that a lot of the signings we've made lend themselves quite nicely to playing the type of football that we'll need to play at Ibrox to get a good result. McGee and Ojo should be very comfortable in a kind of uh, in a, in a, a 90 minutes where we maybe don't see huge amounts of the ball so we need to take great special care of it when we do have it. And then Kennedy uh, with the pace to, to break forward. Um, maybe John Gallagher gets a look in at some point on Saturday because I think his energy, his his work rate and his pace are important in fixtures like that. So I think that we can do well. I'm just naturally predisposed to to pessimism ahead of Ibrox. And, I'm, I, I, you know, I apologise for it. It doesn't make for great podcasting when I'm not beating my chest and predicting predicting 3-0 wins. No, you're absolutely right based on
2: um, our history there, but where's the fun in being pessimistic? No, <laughs> no you're quite right. <laughs> A lot of fun in being positive, but then... Quite often
0: it does come back to, back to bite me in the bum, but you know I don't mind that. The game yesterday, I, I much like the game at Petardu, I thought was just evidence. It doesn't really take much to rock that team off their access and get them unsettled, get them on the back foot, expose the problems in their defence. And uh, again, I, I think you know the likeliest outcome is probably more misery for us, unfortunately. But um, you have to no, look do at these do things. There we go. Saved us, Graham. Saved us from falling into the abyss sir. Thank you. Uh, And thank you both for joining me tonight. Before we go, uh, John, um, you want to say a little something about a, a charitable cause that you're involved in?
1: Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about this. Two of my best friends, Paul and Adam, are massive Aberdeen fans. They're who I go to games with. We travel up to Pertorje whenever we can, but we we tend to make most hay going to uh, Central Belt away games. Now, they are part of a big family of Aberdeen fans. Their dad in particular has been taking them to games since they were both kids. Now, tragically, their dad uh, got a, a diagnosis, an awful diagnosis of motor neurone disease in 2017 and that's really torn the family to bits and, to an extent. It's, it's been devastating for them. So Paul and Adam, my mates, have set up a fundraiser for uh, motor neurone disease research now, just before their dad's MND diagnosis, he was 267 out of 282 through climbing all the Munroes in Scotland. But as a result of the diagnosis, um, he's unable to complete the final 15 Munros. This has been a, a lifelong goal of, of Paul and Adam's dad, whose name's Dave. Um, Dave uh, retired with... The, the The chief goal of finishing these Monroes and then very shortly after for, got the got the heartbreaking diagnosis, so Paul and Adam and their brother and sister Matt and Becky are going to complete the final fifteen Monroes on his behalf, and while they 're doing so they 're raising money for the uh, my name 's doddy foundation that 's Doddy Weir, the former Scotland rugby international. He has a, a hugely successful fundraising campaign about uh, around uh, raising money for research about MND. So if any of the listeners to the podcast would like to have a look at the the progress that Adam and Paul and the the rest of the Choke family are making, they've got a website which is www.munroes4mnd.co.uk and that four is the number four. And they also have a Twitter account which is at Munroes4MND. All of this information is pinned at the top of my Twitter profile. The most important thing they're doing is raising money, so if anyone has money and, and thinks this is a worthwhile cause to support a family of, of Aberdeen fans as they do some amazing work, then by all means that would be gratefully received. But even uh, for any listeners who don't have the spare cash um, Have a look at their Twitter Give it a follow, have a look at their website And, and just keep a wee eye on, on What this family are doing They're doing amazing work and uh, It's a, a huge big family, all of them Aberdeen fans, so they'd be grateful For any support that we can give them
2: That sounds amazing, what, what, what was the web address again?
1: It's www.munrose4mnd.co.uk And the 4 there Is the number 4 So it's Monrose M U N R O S for mnd.co.uk I'm heading there now Excellent. Thank you. I appreciate
0: that. Okay, and uh, I hope many of you also head there and uh, take a look at what's going on on that website and um, the efforts, the fundraising efforts that are going on there. So my thank you to Graham Park for joining us. Graham, thank you. Um, you thanks, kind of rescued, fun fun. You rescued us from uh, a pit of misery and depression, of which uh, John Sinclair would have been very much at home at, but thanks for joining us, John. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks very much for having me. It was great fun again.
0: We'll be back next week. Um, who knows? Hopefully, looking back on a victory at That would be good, wouldn't it? Alright, good night. Come on, you Reds.